In this episode of Board Game Impact, I am joined by game designer Max, who's going to talk about Lords of Baseball. Stay tuned. Welcome to another episode of Board Game Impact. As always, I am Bruce Brown. I'm your primary host here on the show, uh, where we use our gaming, our educational lenses as we work in higher education. And I'm finishing a PhD um, to break down the gaming experiences that we're having for the benefit of your gaming group. Now, Josh is not joining us tonight, and that's because I'm actually joined by a pretty good friend of mine who used to be my Santa. Um, and we'll get to the, what that means here in a second. But Max, how about you introduce yourself for everybody? Ho, ho, ho. Hi, I'm, I'm Max. And uh, like you said, I, I'm a, a game designer by name only. I've, I'm just breaking into the hobby of game design. But my my experience with Bruce dates back a couple of years. I, I'm going to guess it was like 2018 or 2017. It might have been later. I'm not sure. Years COVID not, time warp. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I participated in the Board Game Geek Secret Santa, and I, I got my, my target was this guy named Bruce from Texas. And what I used to do to my targets, I'd look at their profiles, and you just happen to have a New York Yankee fan micro badge type thing. And, and I thought immediately, like, wow, I can click with this guy because I am also a New York Yankee fan. So I, I sent you a couple of videos of some of the memorabilia I had in the house to say, you know, hey, like, first of all, I'm a real person. Look at this. It's kind of weird. But uh, then you surprised me because you have some technology background and you sent a video back and we became like video pen pals, Yeah, which was was really cool because a lot of the other targets that I would do that to would just like they'd write a paragraph back like, oh, my gosh, you sent me a video. But like we actually you know became friends through a yeah. Secret Santa program. And I, I don't even remember what game I sent you. I hope you liked it. <laughs> I did. I don't remember which one it was either, but I did like it. And honestly, I'm just going to call this the experience is really what was the best part of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, like, and, and the, the, the friendship that we have that, you know, you through Tabletop Alliance and, and me through Video Game Clubs of America have actually, you know, worked together on a, on a project or two. You know, right, right. We wrote a book together almost. Yeah. And if you remember that. Yeah, I do. Uh, so. I mean, that, that's been the best part of that whole Secret Santa experience for me is actually being able to collaborate with another educator. Uh, you're in the college world. I'm in the high school world, but still using games in the classroom to uh, you know, benefit social-emotional learning in kids and uh, you know, benefit you know, giving kids an outlet and an opportunity to uh, be creative through game design themselves. Yeah, and which I love, and I want you to share a little bit more about that here in a second, but I just want to remind everybody that this episode is actually recorded live and put over on Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, so make sure if you want to actually participate in conversations live with us um, or with any guests that we have, make sure to go on and subscribe to all those places so that way you can join us and ask questions and have some fun and celebrate and all this and potentially even have your questions on the air. Um, but yeah, Max, like I actually just signed up for BGG Secret Santa because it's open right now. Um, yep, so I'm in. Yeah, same here. I am signed up. Um, and that was honestly top two. It was number one experience of my BGG, uh, BGG Secret Santas. Um, I've had one other one that went like crazy extra and had stuff from... Um, the like North Pole Alaska 
Like they actually sent wow. me letters with like Santa stamps. Oh. Like it was, it, it was super, <laughs> they went into the theme. So you and I have a friendship that one. I just have like some memorabilia up for like Santa things. Um, but I encourage that if that's something that you're interested in, by the way, um, you spend $50, including shipping at minimum and you get a target. I was Max's target and you could have this too. <laughs> you could have this kind of fun. Thing. Um, but we're well, doing my end when I yeah. was a target, I got to tell you this story really quick. Um, one of one of the, my Santas lived about thirty minutes north of me, and we had game together. Like we were in a game group together, and he there was I, I don't remember there being any communication on his end except for one day, I got a knock at the door, and I look at my wife and she looks at me like well, what's going on here? Because this is like two thousands. Nobody knocks on yeah, the door anymore. You don't right? do this. <laughs> so I I get to the door. I turn the light on. There's nobody there, but there's a box on the day on the on the porch. Like he he dinged and dashed and when i picked it up like i brought it in the house and then i got a phone call and it was this it was this guy singing christmas carols i'm like what is going on here and it was my, my santa had dropped off the the box himself at like 9 30 at night it was cold and snowing and and there's a box so that what? that was an interesting experience but i but i knew the guy yeah which was which was kind of cool that is crazy so kind of, small world. I'm kind of waiting for somebody to be in, in Pennsylvania that I can do the same thing to. Yeah, yeah. No, within like a half an hour driving range. I had one person in Texas a couple of years ago, but they were like but nine Texas hours is, away. <laughs> yeah. That's, <laughs> Texas uh, is like five Pennsylvanias. Yeah. The furthest person I've had was I actually clicked the button. It's like, I'll do anywhere in the world. And I had somebody in Chile, which Ooh. is difficult. And I had to like work with people in Chile to like, because they have this thing when you buy things in Chile to ship within Chile, you have to have a Chilean um, like essentially ID number. Um, and okay. so I had to like work around the, the, the state systems. It was fun. I got wow. them their games, but it was it was definitely I, an experience. I had, I had one from Australia. Wow. OK, that was a that, but see, I, I was able to work with his wife. They, they had a, a friendly local store that they went with. And, and I was able to get something there and not worry about shipping because shipping would have been right. Like, I don't know, $90, $95 or something like something ridiculous. Yeah. But and this was back in 2005 or something. It's not even now. Right. Now is really crazy. Um, yeah. But with all this, it's kind of fun and shows how cool this community can be. Um, and so speaking of which, the reason we do these live streams um, besides just the podcast is we are raising awareness for Tabletop Alliance, like Max mentioned, um, which right now we have a campaign going on to help get um, the support needed to in impact 10,000 students because we've already been able to impact 8,700 in these last two years. And it's going really well. So if you want to check that out, there's a link in the bio and a link in this episode for you to see all about this fun campaign, the games we're giving away and all that kinds of stuff. But Max, let's jump into... Okay, so you said you're an educator who uses games. Talk to me about your typical gaming and, and how that's playing in your classroom. And then let's talk about how do you make that jump to then wanting to design a game sure well uh, my intro to gaming in the classroom actually started with video gaming my son is on the autism spectrum high functioning super musical but uh, he also likes minecraft and there was a, a minecraft camp in my town run by what became known as the video game clubs of america and when we took him to camp, he went over to the computer room and there was a gentleman there talking to us about the club. And long story short, he recruited me because both he and I have sons on the autism spectrum. So we connected through that. 
And I, I've been working with VGC USA for, I, I want to say six years. We, we, I started a gaming club at my school. And really the, the main goal of the video game club was to provide a, a safe space for all students to just make friends because the people who were into video games, at least in my school and in uh, Josh's school, were, were on the socially awkward end of things. Like they're, they're not exactly the most popular kids in school and sometimes making friends is hard. But if you put them in a room with a Nintendo and a controller and Mario Kart, all of a sudden, you know, they get vocal, they get loud and they get, you know, they show emotion like, Love yes, that. they're human, too. And mm-hmm. it's it's a safe area where they can do that. And the first meeting we had, I think we had around 120 kids. And I looked out. I remember looking out. We were in the band room because it was the only room in the school big enough to hold us. And I saw kids with green hair, purple hair. I, I remember the kid with no hair because I also have no hair. I connected with him right away. But but these are just, they were like the Goonies. And they were they were all great kids. And when I saw how they started like meeting each other, because some of them didn't know each other, I said I said to myself, this is going to be the greatest thing I will ever do in education. Ever. Not just Love the best that. thing I've done so far. I, I can't do anything better than this. So I'm, I'm getting kids together and club wise, we've maintained numbers around uh, between 100 and 120. And the, the best part about it is the, the cultural mix. Like if you talk about demographics and yep. psychographics and things like that, that we run the gamut. We have people on every end of the socioeconomic scale. We have kids who are athletes. We have kids who are not uh, the top 10 valedictorian, those kind of people, they show up sometimes because what kid doesn't like video games, right? So we, we built a structure through, through VGC USA where kids can come and participate. Now, what, what did VGC do for me? I was, I was coaching football at the time, and I remember when, when Josh – his name is Josh Bound. You have another guy named Josh here. I do. <laughs> so, so when Bound approached me and said, do you want to do this? I said, I, I don't know because I don't want to do things halfway. I don't want to give the kids you know, 30% effort because I'm coaching football at the same time. But VGCUSA has written curriculum. They've written bylaws. They have all kinds of material that I was able to use. And yep. it really made starting that club easy. And when I saw what it did for kids, I, I said, this is... I'm going to put more effort into this. I joined the national board of VGC USA. We're, we're a national nonprofit like Tabletop Alliance. And I've, I've seen the, the impact that that kind of gaming has had. And since I have a background in board gaming, I was able to bring that kind of expertise to my video game club. And now my, my game club is almost split 50-50 where some kids just want to show up and play Dungeons and Dragons. Some kids are interested in... Card game. Uno is huge among high school kids, but what VGC was able to do is we transformed Uno into a social emotional experiment where now if you play the reverse card, you have to, I think the rule is you, you come up with one part of the week that you'd like to reverse. So for me, I, I got some news today I would have loved to reverse. Uh, if I play the skip card against you, I have to make good eye contact with you and make a sincere apology for skipping you, Bruce. 
I, I respect you as a gamer. I think you're a quality human, but I got to skip you. And, and so we're teaching interpersonal communication through a game that these kids are playing already. So that's, that, that's one way that tabletop gaming has, yeah. has impacted my club. And then it, it transformed into the classroom because I, I'm able to teach a course called Business of Board Game Design. Now, imagine this. You're in high school, and you, you look at your potential electives that you can take, and one of them says board game design. I mean, if you like games, dude, you, people have signed up for that just to see what kind of games we play. And Heck, we, just yes. finished, we just finished our chapter on dice. Like, I, I okay. have chapters somehow. So there is a class, and we learn about probabilities. And the, my favorite question, this is my favorite lesson, when I ask the kids, what, is the, what are the odds of rolling a two on a D6? So what are the odds of rolling a two on a D6? One-sixth. No. No. And the face that you're giving is the same look that the kids give. Like, what are you talking about? And, and I follow that up with, what happens if the die has four twos on it? Ooh. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so now I say, well, what are the odds of rolling a two on a standard D6? And then it's one-sixth. But when they, when they see dice from the game Formula D, yeah, where you have a, a, a twenty sided die and a thirty sided die, that's like the lowest. It all depends on your shifting, right? Yeah, yeah. I show them the dice, and they're like, "This is the craziest thing I've ever seen." <laughs> but then they take that that concept and they they make their own dice games. That's the the project they're finishing up now. But I, I've played. Let, let me see. I've played Love Letter for Sale, Blockus. Carcassonne, Ticket to Ride, Pandemic, uh, Cosmic Run. Um, it's just a multitude of different games where I use the games to teach mechanics. Yep. Instead of giving them a textbook and having them memorize vocabulary, like this is what area control is, I, I just teach them. Yep. I, I teach them games and say, look, did you like the way that Carcassonne sprawled out? Because that mechanic is called tile laying. If you like that, maybe you'll like this. Or in Ticket to Ride, did you like being able to, you know, you have a goal. I want to go from Miami to New York or whatever. That's your that's your goal. But my goal might be to go from Seattle to Dallas. Mm -hmm. So we, we each have individual goals, but we can try to block each other. Do you like that? Because, all right, Here's. we can build our, we can be creative in our own designs. Because that, that's the main goal of the class, where they take some knowledge of what they've played, and then they translate it into something that they make that's unique. I remember and, you told me one of the first times we talked about this, which by the way, you're killing it, loving it. You're doing some really wonderful things for students around all <laughs> over the place. And yeah, absolutely would want to have board game design on my little transcript of my curriculum. Heck yes. I signed up for classes for my last <laughs> semester for my hours for my PhD next month, next month. And I'm like, can I have board game design on there? Uh, not even an option at this stage. I've been in school for 26 years. Great. Um, but I remember you told me how you had them play with Carcassonne. And then they had to come up with their own expansion based on that experience after like looking on Board Game Geek and some things. But most importantly, you had them then present that and have to do like a yep. sales pitch. Um, yep. That's the, so that's the business end. The, the way the class was actually enacted so josh bound actually wrote the curriculum for it and he's a history teacher so he took a very historical aspect to it when i started teaching it i was allowed to, i'm allowed to change like 20 percent of the curriculum so i changed most of the history to business 
So we we did a pitch where all right, I'm I'm the big I'm the big publisher guy. Sell me or make me buy your game. And they each had a minute to do it. And they they I think I think that year I let them partner up. So they had like a, a combo pitch. But we had we had groups that would they would make their own tiles and they incorporated that into their presentation. And I think it was a really interesting look into the business end of board gaming. Whereas, you know, beforehand, a lot of these kids think like I used to think that, you know, games just exist. You know, when I was a kid, you know, that game box carrier strike it. Okay. It was there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It says Milton Bradley on it. I don't know who they are. Yeah. That's that those people don't exist. And when I got to the point, I think it was 2010, I met the designer of my favorite game. And I, I joke about this. I marked out on him like I was a little girl at an InSync concert. <laughs> and I'm a grown man. I'm like 35 years old. You had no strings attached. <laughs> Nothing. And I, I, when I found out he was the designer, I, it was all I could do not to give him a hug. <laughs> I, I told him, this is, this is the, my favorite game. And it's not the most popular game. And it's got some mechanical flaws to it. But if, if you go into the game knowing that, it's fun and you can have and that's my big thing with games. I'm I am not a good game player. Let's get that straight. I don't win a lot. I don't care about that. If I have fun losing with my friends, that is better than me winning against people I don't like. That makes sense? Yep. Yeah. That's me. I mean, you even so told I, me how you always go to the World WBC, right? World Board Game Championships, yes. but like yep. you're not really there to win sometimes. You've done well. I've I made the final table yeah. in Vegas Showdown. I was the third best player in Vegas Showdown one year. I've made the final in Air Baron. That, that's my favorite game, Air Baron. It's the game I GM. I run it. I've made the final table a couple times there. But like, again, right. I, I would rather have fun right. than, than really be uber competitive and, and think. When I go to WBC, this is a true story. I sleep on average about four hours a night. <laughs> and that's over nine days. So by the second Friday, my, my head is zombified. Yeah. And, and to me, I, that's just me staying up playing games. But if I have to make like an intelligent decision in a game that's like brain burning, I have yeah. no chance. I, <laughs> I, I'm putting myself at a distinct disadvantage because staying up till three in the morning and then waking up at seven in the morning, that's just fun for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's I, I summer can't camp. explain why. It just it's summer camp. Sure, I'll go with that. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I, I there's friends. different rules at summer camp. <laughs> I have convention friends that are early up. I'll play with them at you know eight or nine, and then I have the the night owls that that stay up all night. I, I have friends from both ends of the the time spectrum. So, <laughs> and that's the best part of that convention to me. Like, I I spend most of my time in the open gaming area, where it's okay if I yell and be goofy and be strange. <laughs> People, oh, oh, that's just Max. Um, and like, yeah, we know him. He's he's loud. It happens. So Max, I can't do that in tournaments. Huh? Yeah. Well, no, that's different. That's very different in you have tournaments. To, you have setting. to think you clearly. Have to, so. You have to change up the dynamic. Um, but I think this is a good point to switch because I remember some photos of you from WBC and other things, oh, and some videos of you announcing what we're about to talk about. Right. Yeah, that was just this just this year. Yeah, because I remember it out. was like this build up to this announcement you made at it, and that is that you have been working on a game for 
a while now. Um, oh my which, gosh. Yeah, which is wonderful um, that you get to do this and it's with your father. Um, and yep. it's called Lords of Baseball. And so before we go into all of it, because um, we're going to play a quick little sound clip. It, and if you're watching the video, you'll be able to watch the video too. Uh, it kind of goes over some of the basics. It's a really fun little intro video that he had made. But Max, I'm curious, what got you to make that switch? Like when, like where in, where did you start this process? Because you're teaching on board game design. Like where did the inception for this start? And then we're going to jump into the rest in a minute. What a long, strange trip it's been, as the Grateful Dead would say. So my, my father is, is a war gamer at heart. He's been a gamer all his life, but he's mostly a war gaming grognard. But he'll play just about anything. So it was 2009. He was at a convention run by BPA called Wham, a winter activation meeting. And he played a game called Twilight Struggle. It was the first time he's ever played this game. And he really liked it. He liked the way the cards played through real-life events. And as he was driving home, he was thinking and, you know, just reminiscing about this game. And he thought, I wonder if I could build this card mechanic around a baseball game. My dad and I are big baseball fans. So as he's driving by himself, the thoughts were going through his head. And he wrote out like two pages of just outlined thoughts and, and rules. Wow. And he sent them to me and he said, you know, what do you think of this? <laughs> and I thought, well... I mean, it's something, I guess. I'm not sure what it is. Again, I, I don't think board game designers exist. I think games just poof, right? Well, in the, the next year, 2010, like I said, I meet my favorite designer. And I start putting like a human face with this process. That same year, another good friend of mine named Terry Coleman asked me, said, Max, will you play test my tennis game? And I said, okay. Well, I said, well, well, Terry, I'll play test your game. If you play test my dad's game, because well I, I was the whole playground, my dad could beat up your dad, right? That, <laughs> yeah, that was the thing absolutely. growing up. So I thought, you know, all right, if you can do it, so can my dad. But Terry's eyes got really wide. He's like, your dad made a game? Awesome. Yes, definitely bring it next year. So it's super supportive. And I thought to myself, all right, let, let's do this. So I, I talked to my dad. We were, we were leaving the convention. This is the last day. And I said, dad, remember that game you sent me a couple months ago? Yeah. I said, well, Terry wants to play it next year. And my dad says, well, how's he going to play it? It doesn't exist. So, well, we got a year to make it exist. <laughs> and what's what's nuts to me is that fall I student taught, I got into teaching late. I wasn't a teacher right out of college. So I was student teaching at like 31 years old. And I, like you're told, if you get into student teaching, you get an A or you don't teach. So I focused all my energy for four months on on that. And then come January, I started the process of what I thought was game design. And it was just, for me, it was all making components. It wasn't uh, worrying about mechanics and how they interacted. It's like, I got to make it look cool. Okay. So I, I love Stone Age. I think Stone Age is a really fun game. And in Stone Age, you have the main board and then you have your own little player area, your own little bookkeeping area. Yep. So I thought, well, this game needs that. And then my dad had had showed me Twilight Struggle, and he's like, I really like the the ops and the event. So I thought to myself, well, that's cool. But in baseball, we have the off season and the regular season. So maybe mm -hmm. in our game, we can have the off season event, the in season event, and an op number. So now instead of two choices, now I'm giving the player three choices. And I always thought more was better, right? So 
I, I designed on a sheet of paper what I thought the card should look like. And I, I sent it to my dad and I said, what do you think? And he said, this is good. I like this. So then I started building it in Photoshop. Now, this is where I tell my students, this is the biggest mistake you can make as a game designer, focusing on what the, the components look like before you have a game. I wanted them to look pretty. And fortunately, I have a, a slight modicum of art skill that I was able to just put my time into it. I didn't have to spend any money doing it. Yeah. And I, I made the cards and I thought they looked pretty cool. And then I thought, well, we got to get these printed out. Like, otherwise, how am I going to play them? And I didn't think about, you know, the, the cheap way to do it. I found a company, it was in Taiwan, I believe, that prints playing cards. And I, I, I made two decks of playing cards. And the, the biggest problem I found on them was seeing the text on the, the computer screen versus printed out. Mm-hmm. Very but, different. I mean, for, the first, for the first go around, the first test that we did, it was good enough. And I was ready to play test it. I think this was around March. So my dad's idea was 20, 20 years, like a 20-turn game that you know up to eight players can play eight to ten players i think was his idea so a friend of mine named ray sat down with me and, and ray had designed a couple of games before and and to to me he was like the game guru he owned over a thousand games man i only owned a hundred but <laughs> his collection dwarfed mine so i really really hoped that he could give me some advice mm-hmm. so we sat down and played and within the first couple minutes we discovered this is not going to be a 20 turn game because it took us about two hours to get through one year. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. We, <laughs> we immediately, we immediately chopped down the idea of 20 years. Uh, but he, he gave me some really good advice and I learned the most valuable lesson in game design. And that's play testing is, is the most important thing that you can do. Agreed. No one on this planet will design a perfect game on their first efforts. And more likely than more often than not, your first effort is going to be bad. But this was my first try. Yep. And I'm very protective. This this game was it was my dad's <laughs> baby. So I mean, it's not even my baby. So now it's like even I'm even more protective of my dad. Yeah. So when when we discovered some of the problems, I saw the problems. But then when I took it to a different group and played, well, they found different problems. And I thought to myself, man. <laughs> I oh these these guys just don't get it. Mm. They don't see the vision that I see. But I had gotten myself so far into the forest I couldn't see the trees. When I went to WBC that next that summer, we sat down and I made t-shirts. I had I had a website designed. I went full marketing like cuz that's what I knew. Right. And you knew finished product. A, exactly. My dude, the board was printed off on like this sticker material that I, I put on this card. It was a beautiful piece of art, but <laughs> the, you know how many times my main board has changed since then? <laughs> about, about 50. <laughs> so I put all this time, effort, money, blood, sweat into this, this product. But what, what did work, and, and this is where you know I think I was right, was people took notice of it. They looked and they said, whoa, whoa, what is this game? I've never mm-hmm. seen this before. And we got eyes and we got people, we got traffic yep. and people wanted to play. 
And, and from there, my next mistake was trying to teach them how to play the whole game before we started. I've since learned we play a little, I teach a little, then we play a little. I play a little, we teach a little, back and forth. Good lesson. And but but that first year, I mean, we got about 150 people to play that game. I probably played it 50 times that week. It was and amazingly, we we caught the attention of a publisher. And when when I talked to the guy, who he said, you know, you didn't have to make it look like this. <laughs> he he his his quote to me was. I've played games on a napkin before. Yeah. Now my con- my counter to that is you played games on a napkin from an established game designer who probably has 20, 30, 50 titles to his credit. Hi, I'm Max Jamelli. I've never made a game before. Do you want to try my game? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think the look of it had something to do with it, but I will tell my students forever and ever not to spend any money if they can help it. Right. Actually, the, so the, the, the Ludology podcast with Gil Hova and others who talk a lot yeah. about game design, um, that's like their number one rule of like, don't spend money <laughs> like, or don't invest the time into the art. Like pull some stock photos, do some things if you need that. Um, yep. But they do say though, there are exceptions and that is if your process and you as an individual rely on art to inspire you through the process if that's what's going to carry you through and that's what you need as a person but that's the rare not like yeah that's the exception um to all of that but yeah so and because art can also be updated and graphic design can be updated when it gets to the publisher which i'm sure happened uh um, well for, for me especially because now so when my father and i designed this game it was 162 games. It was Lords of Baseball. It was, you know, we have superstars. There's going to be free agency. We're going to have steroids. We're going to have, you know, all, all this kind of, you know, things that are a lot in of the game. <laughs> uh, we actually, we have a card that's an, an old card that said, uh, we stole your signs. We, you were caught cheating. And then there's a, there's a financial penalty for that. It's kind of interesting that the game that's being played right now. Yeah, which I'm looking is, up right know, now. Something like that. Still 1-1. One, one. It's 1-1, one, one, Yankees-Astros. <laughs> but yeah, still 1-1, one, one, so top of the six. We, we, we tried to tie modern baseball into this game, but where we eventually wound up, which I'll, I'll get to, was now the game is in the 1910s. Yep. So all of the artwork that I put together had this modern feel to it. It looked cool. I really liked the font I used for my logo because it was like that script baseball that you'd see on the on the jerseys. Now it's completely – it's a classic look with yep. old-timey baseball so yeah so as far as art goes it will it will change i guarantee you but that first wbc having stuff yeah. that looked good that's gotta it feel got good. me traffic it got me traffic yeah. and it got me noticed as someone who's who's never designed a game before you know just my dad and i just kind of brainstormed some of these events that were put together um we were pumped and you know the publisher said they were going to help us and it was a couple of years that went by and uh, eventually, you know, we, we parted ways and then the search began. It, it had been a, a solid couple years and we knew we needed someone who could act as a developer. You know, the, the original P-roll. publisher said, we're going to give you a developer. And really what they gave us was a play tester mm-hmm. because when when the guys he, he emailed me and said, you know, I, I played it with the group. They said there's a game here, but we need to streamline the mechanics. And those three words, streamline the mechanics, just haunted me because I had no idea what they meant. Right. Bruce, it's 12 years in. I still don't know what they mean. It's amazing. <laughs> and it can mean so, a lot of things to a lot of different people. 
Exactly. So he, he tells us the game is too long. And I counter because, again, you're attacking my dad's baby. And now I have to play, you know, mama bear. And I said, you realize the first time I played Twilight Struggle, it took me seven hours. And that's a me thing. Yeah. You know, it's it's a card driven game. If you sit, if you sit and look at your cards, they're not going to change. Right. And you could extend the time of the game. So my first thought was, well, let me do some graphic stuff and I'll change the look of the cards. Now I'll, I'll make them green, red and blue where green is good. Do that to yourself. Red is bad. Do yep. that to your opponents, right? Blue, you have to think a little design. bit. design, yeah. So that didn't work mm. as, as well as I thought it would because people still sat and stared at their cards. Um, and eventually, you know, we went to another person who thought you know, thought was going to be a developer. He helped us immensely with the rules, but not, again, not much of a developer. When When the original guy came to us with problems and I asked, okay, great, what do you suggest we do? His words to me were, oh, no, that, that's a you thing. You're the designer. Oh. And I thought, I thought, dude, like, this is the best I did. Like, I didn't give you. Yeah, it's usually not how that effort. goes. Yeah. I didn't just say, oh, I'll just do this. No, I did the best I could, and it wasn't good enough, so please help me. Yeah. So that's why I said I got a play tester, and that's, yeah. that's fine. I, and I, I had multiple experiences with developers who were really play testers until I came across um, – a gentleman named Jeff Horger, who had published a game called Thunder Alley. Yeah. It's a racing game, but it's, it's a card-driven racing it's game. very well-known card-driven racing game. <laughs> I thought to myself, I, I had heard rumblings through the grapevine that he was interested in starting a game company uh, focusing on sports games. And I got a little nervous because, like, well, I don't know the guy. I looked him up on Board Game Geek, and there he is. He's got a designer page. Oh, my gosh, he's made more than one game. He's made... Thunder Alley, Maneuver. He's done something with Can't Stop. Oh, my gosh, what is going on with this? This guy's like, a, he's a big deal. He's not going to want to talk to little old me. But I decided, you know, I'll, I'll get brave. And I sent him an email. And he, he wrote back and he said, you know what? Um, yeah, I'd be interested in, in learning about a baseball game. Sure, why not? So Jeff lives in Columbus. I live in Pennsylvania. We met about a halfway. We both drove to Pittsburgh. Hmm. And here we are in a, in a hotel in Pittsburgh in the main lobby playing Lords of Baseball. <laughs> my, my awful pro, my prototype, which, which might have been like the 10th version. Because I, I had gone to a couple there, – there's a great organization called Unpub. Yes, that's a really great did some, organization. Did some play testing for me that I was able to get good feedback and, and at least feedback that I started to appreciate because it was coming from designers mm -hmm. who weren't just saying – streamline the mechanics no they were saying invested. do this do this do this mm -hmm. because they they knew what to look for they, they'd made the same mistakes so i sat down in pittsburgh with jeff he he and his wife carla and then me and my wife jennifer we sat and we played a four-player game and every now and then they would like turn and whisper to each other and the the elf in the back of my head was saying what are they saying? What are they saying? They <laughs> like freaking the out, game. man. I yeah. Hope, I hope they're having fun. Are they having fun? Is fun important? Should I let them win? Should I try to beat them? I don't win this game anyway. Mm -hmm. And eventually, we I think we played through two seasons, and he said the same thing that everybody else said. He said, there's a game here. Uh, we just have to streamline the mechanics. <laughs> and at that point, I'm like, I, I quit. I don't know what I'm doing. The, I, this, I'm obviously in over my head. I'm trying to fly an airplane, and I just can't. But he says to me, if if I'm going to take on this project, I'm going to want to develop it. Perfect. And when I heard that, I almost kissed him. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> you want to you want to be a developer? 
dude, awesome. And from there, he started making some changes. And he said, you can't be afraid of anything. Yep. He said, I'm going to tear the game apart. And I said, oh, okay. It's, it had been six years. So I had been like so invested in trying to get this game out that I'm like, you know what? Do what you want. Yep. I, 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 my goal was to never say no. I don't care if it's the most ridiculous thing. The only thing I was going to say no to is if you wanted to change it to a hockey game or a soccer game. <laughs> so it's got to be baseball because that's what my dad's vision was. Anything else, I'm, I'm going to say yes to. And I, I volunteered. I said, if there's anything you need help with, yeah. you know, just let me know. Like, if you want me to make cards, you want me to do some work for you, like, dude, I'll, I'll help you out. And his, his first thought was, you know, I don't want to do that because the uh, th- there's been times where he had not worked – you know, cooperatively with someone else that he kind of felt that he got pushed around and he thought the designer might do that. Mm-hmm. And I, I totally get that because five years previous, I might have. But at that point, I was about to say, I, I'm going to say yes to everything he wants me to do. And if he needs help, if I help him, we can speed up the process. Yeah. So he, he took a couple of days and he emailed me and said, you know what, if you want to help and you want to make the cards, or you want to do this, you know, that that would be okay. And at that point, I said, yes, 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 yes. Do this, yes, yes, yes. We had some crazy, crazy experiments. We had crazy cards. You know, in, in my original version, the op values were two, three, and four. He came up with an 11 and a 10, which game mechanically was like crazy, but like, <laughs> yes. I, well, you want to do it, Jeff? Yes, let's do it. And it, I, I said no to him once. I think I said yes about 117 times before he said, I'm going to try this. And I said, no, because we did this before and this is what happened. Mm. If you want to try it, I will, but I think it's not the best idea. And you know what Jeff said? He said, okay. Nice. Because I had, because I had said yes 117 times. I think I bought some equity there. Yeah. That's and how that works. the one time I said, no, I think he believes me. He's like, okay, he probably did this. So our, our, our trials and tribulations with Jeff and developing this game, really, the, the main problem that my dad and I had was determining how many games that you won because this game is partially during the regular season and you're going to play games against other people. Now, you do it very quickly. It's, it's through cards. Yeah. Our original system was I play a card against you. You win two games and lose eight. I play a card on myself. I win nine and lose one. Well, that's great. We both played 10 games. But what happens if two other people play cards against themselves that right. you know, I've played 13 games, you've played 10, this other person's only played two. We're all over Thematically, the place. it didn't make any sense. Right. And we had it in phases where in the early season you played 25 games. What happens if your record is 10 and 20? Mm-hmm. Well, we had to figure we had to like normalize records and we my dad and I had this insane formula that was so easy for us because we made it. But if I tried to explain it to someone else, they'd look at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and again, I'm so far into the forest. I'm speaking the language. Right. They have no, they're dropped into the middle of a foreign country with, yep. you know, a popsicle and a, and a stapler. Yeah, like, the, what, what am I doing? Expecting them to be MacGyver. <laughs> exactly. Like, dude, why can't you figure this out? It's as easy as one plus purple equals cheeseburger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so a Jeff lot of was, great game design actually goes back to having like Excel and different things. But just to clarify for listeners, that developer role, a lot of those relationships with the publisher, there's an investment to hone a sculpture, right? 
essentially to bring out and yeah. chip away, maybe make it go a slight different direction, um, but really make it a polished product because that's their ultimate should be their ultimate goal. Um, I, I like that analogy, the sculpture that that's that's exactly what it is. Yeah, let's just let's just hone it in. Let's chip away the things. Let's focus the fun and give the best freaking experience we absolutely can. And so this has been going on a while, right? And that's that's what Jeff did. Jeff created a formula for winning games. Ooh. And that's what's and that's what sped the game up. Huh. That's what made the game flow. That formula of okay, your your team strength is 10, my team strength is 9. You're naturally going to be better than me. We're going to play two cards against each other because it's still card driven and baseball's random. Like yep. who, who who saw what went what went on in the National League this year? You know, between the Mets, the Dodgers, 100 100 games, 200 wins, they're out of the playoffs. Baseball's weird like that. Yep. So And by the way, the Astros are up 3 to 1 right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I I didn't want to say anything. But it can like, be weird. baseball's one of those one of those games that just stuff happens. We we, we didn't want to yeah. You know, take the randomness out. Injuries happen. Streaks happen. So there's card play where, okay, you're a 10, but I'm a 9. Well, I played a card that gives me two more strengths. So now I'm an 11, you're a 10. And then to add even just a little bit more randomness, we roll dice. So if we both roll dice, I roll a 4, you roll a 4, or, you know, whatever, that's adding to your strength. And then we check a matrix, just a grid, and we play 22 games against each other. 22 games between you and me will take... 15 seconds. Oh my God. That's it. That's and, crazy. And you fast. do that. You, you do that seven times in the regular season. And that adds up to 154 games. How many games did we play in the 1910s? 154 games. Look at that. So th that change right there allowed us to then explore other parts of the game. Like what we really wanted. We build a stadium now. And now we incorporate, you know, different ways to score points because Lords of Baseball at its core is a Euro game where you score victory points, not just winning games. And that's going to be the, the biggest complaint I can see <laughs> when people play like, dude, I won the World Series two times. I didn't win the game, though. Yeah, but your stadium is awful. <laughs> no what, one wants to we, go to what it. We, <laughs> what we say to them is in the 1910s, the owners of the teams. Yeah, it'd be nice if they went to this. If they went to the World Series, it meant more money coming in. But they didn't care if they won the World Series. The fans cared. And there, there is some some point opportunities for having fans, but just winning the World Series is not going to win you the whole game necessarily. So that's an aspect of the game yeah. that it's it's not quite like a Stefan Feld point salad, but it's like a side salad. Yeah, a you just got to change your perspective of what role you're taking. You're so used to watching baseball, but no, yep. now you're running baseball. Like that's you're a running big... the the whole organization from the from the top down of the farm system as well. In the regular season and the off season, yep. And you ha have all kinds of problems that you have to to deal with in terms of finances. I, I want to build this part of the bleacher. I need to add more concessions because I know I'm going to score victory points for that. So that's the 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 experience of the game. Really, is being in charge and, and seeing your whole organization grow. And that's what Je that's what, that's what Jeff's Matrix allowed us to do. And we're now at a point where we we have we've tested all of the systems enough that we are like right there next week is yep. like the day that you know I told you nine years ago if you would have told me I never would have believed you but next week uh, October twenty sixth uh, we are going live on Kickstarter heck yes congrats through uh, L four games and so so Jeff 
Jeff uh, actually traded us. <laughs> so <laughs> using baseball terminology, he he traded our contract to L4 Games. Okay. Because he, he said he had a he had a couple other projects that were in front of us, and he said the, these this company was interested as well, and they might be able to uh, publish you sooner. And and my first thought was, I still want you as part of the team because yeah, you've done so much. Like, I I think so highly of of Jeff that anything I can do to help him and his company, I will do. Even if even if it's not my game, if he needs somebody to test something, if he needed somebody to do cards or art, I I would do my darndest to help him out because That's wonderful. He as a he's a little guy in terms of you know the game design world. He's not a giant uh, publishing company. He's not the the head of the he's not the head of the table, but he's a good guy and good guys need to win sometimes. Yep. And, and I say that, and I'll tell you this, I'm a Michigan football fan. <laughs> Jeff graduated from Ohio state. Wow. That's a big deal. I, I worked I, in Ohio. That's a big deal. I, <laughs> I, I still, I, I, I look past that. I, when we first met in Pittsburgh, I kind of, I tried to joke with him. I said, when he said he was going to look at us, I, I do want to, I do want to admit I, I do like Michigan football. <laughs> so I, I was open with him about it. Um, but like for, for me to for me to think that about somebody who is is your deepest rival in in football, like I said, he he deserves every every win possible. And I think seeing this game published with so much of his input, uh, I look at that as as a small win for him. That's really really kind. And yeah, we there was also a lot of investment there um, and time. And I think we should always yes. try and honor those who have poured things in, which is why I'm liking to see more trends in publishing, right? Where they're acknowledging the artists, they're acknowledging the people who wrote the rules, et cetera. Cause it takes a village um, to have these things, wow. as you mentioned. The rule writing aspect of going back to like the, the yeah. class that I teach, that is one of the toughest things to do because writing a rule book is not the, the writing style is different from how we're teaching high school students how to write. Right. And it, it's more technical and mechanical. And I'm not the greatest writer in the world. I, I like to think that I'm a good communicator. I think I speak well. I think I present well. But if I have to write, I struggle because I write. A former television guy, I write like I talk. Ah. And I was taught that pausing is generally a good thing so that your audience can understand you as I pause now. If I get excited, I start talking like this and I start speeding up. But for the most part, I like to pause and every time I pause when I'm typing something out, I over comma. Mm. I comma like crazy. My comma key is like worn out because I use it so much. And my, my wife, who's an English teacher and, and an, an author herself, she's written five books. Whenever I ask her to proofread something, you could see her, her face go, oh, okay, <laughs> I will. But I'm going to delete 75 commas <laughs> because grammatically it's incorrect. But yeah. that's... So writing rules is so difficult for my students because I can't teach them the proper way to write. So I, I, I show them structure and we go through, you know, the, the bits and pieces of the rule book. But the, for the people out there in real life who write rule books, that's, that's a, definitely an underappreciated art mm -hmm. to do a good rule book because there's a lot of bad rule books. There's out there. a Let's whole lot of bad straight. rule books out there. Um, and people know about it. Oh, yeah. And you would know because you can't play it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like, ooh. We all have that one game that we want to play, right? But we're yeah. For, 
We're waiting for somebody, waiting for Rodney Smith to make the video. Oh, absolutely. We're absolutely waiting on Rodney. And even Rodney's like, <laughs> I have to re he Rodney rewrites all the rule books before he makes the video. He types that out his own of script sense. of here's how I'm going to shoot this. And here's how I'm going to explain this. Um, so yeah, every one of his videos is scripted. Cause I, I talked to him about that at the BGG con. Um, cause he comes to those with as part of BGG. Yeah. Um, but I think it's time max for me to play a little video of, Ooh. of this. Can you describe this video before I play it? Like what, well, what, what are we going to be hearing about? And uh, for those on the podcast or seeing for those who watch the stream. When, when you go to a Kickstarter, there's always that intro video at the top where, you know, this is the, the intro to the project. And the 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 audio, if if I remember correctly, I've I've only seen this two or three times. The audio is describing gameplay a little bit, and it's it's very the audio I think is very thematic to 1910s baseball. Uh, if you want to picture a a newspaper or radio announcer behind one of those big microphones, like not quite the one you're using now, maybe like the the shiny. One that's like standing up. Hey, hey. <laughs> as really, yeah, it's there. it's higher on the on the on the high end and, and not as much bass. Yeah, there you go. And then like the video itself has a really cool old school film background or, or uh, overlay to it that it really it puts you back in 1910. And they show some animation of how the the game components work. And if if you get a chance to, if you're not watching live, if you're not on the the, the Twitch or the YouTube or wherever the video is going through. Uh, when you if you check out the Kickstarter, it'll be the the top video there, so you can yeah. check it out there. So I'm gonna hit play on this. I don't know that you'll be able to hear it on the audio, so it'll be about a minute and a half. But I just love this video as I watched it earlier today. I like the I like the guy's eyebrows. Yeah, his eyebrows that you're, sh- that you're, that you're showing right now. That's they're the, they're easily half an inch, easily half an inch in, in width, <laughs> <laughs> easily. Uh, but let's check this out. Baseball it defines us. The game has both reflected and pushed American progress since the middle of the 1800s. And Lords of Baseball takes you to that remarkable period in the early 20th century when baseball became a national pastime. Lords of Baseball is a game for one to four players and takes one to two hours depending on the number of seasons played. Lords of Baseball brings a bygone era to life. The teens in the 20s of the last century saw a massive transformation of the sport. Modern day palaces were erected and the popularity and influence of the game blossomed. You are one of the owners of a charter franchise, a leader with money and vision to grow the game into its modern form. To succeed, you must be strategic and bold as you navigate the phases of the season. In spring training, build your team for the upcoming season and balance those efforts with developing your fan base. During the season, each team will face off against each other team once, collectively contesting the 22 games they would play in a real season. Eight teams always vie for the title. The game manages interactions with the non-player teams, making Lords of Baseball solo-friendly. When the season is over, profit and payroll must be managed. Finally, in the cold winter months when fans gather around a hot stove listening to news of their team, Front office moves and stadium construction take center field. L4 Studios and Mr. B Games invite you to become the next Lord of Baseball. Well done on this video. I mean, that is so old timey. It's not even funny in the best of ways and (laughs) talks about all these fun things. I encourage y'all to go check out the Kickstarter, watch that video, back this game, subscribe to the things but max this is real like this is happening next week that's amazing yeah talk to me about you and your dad and like thinking about that fact right now where's he at you've been talking about your journey where's he at with the fact that this is happening next week well i I think he he kind of was at the point where 
when when Jeff and I started collaborating, I would I would copy him in on on every email. And eventually he he said to me, I, I trust you to get this done. Where he was like, I I don't want to say something. I, I would still ask for his input on on yeah. some of the big things, on the important things. But uh, I think he was he was comfortable. He felt comfortable handing it off to me. He's like, all right, I made this, so now you make it make it come to life. Um, and that's that's like I said, the only reason I ever got into this, the reason I put any kind of blood, sweat, equity into this was because it was my dad's invention. I don't think I could have put anything in it if it was mine. That sounds weird because you know, if if you come up with something, you should almost want to see it through. But I was I was more motivated and inspired to to make my dad's vision come true. And uh, the the last time I talked about it with him was over the weekend. I said, um, you know, it's it's coming up next week. And he just looked and he smiled and said, "We we kind of made it." <laughs> and if you know my dad, it's he's a he's a man of of few words, uh, but they, they count. And yeah. and I remember. The, the first WBC, when we showed up with that game and the 150 people played it and we had the T-shirts, we, we were those guys. Uh, the, when we left, he put his arm around me and he said, you know, without you, this wouldn't have happened. Oh. And that's the – shoot, man, that's the coolest thing right there, you know? Yeah, it gets you right in the fields. Good. And um, and I that, that's, I guess, fueled the journey for 12 years to the point where, you know – now, without both of us, this wouldn't happen because he he is he had made a couple interesting decisions about how the stadium was put together and uh, originally. So in the video, you saw how the stadium was a a three by three grid. Originally, our plan was to make it. I think it might have been like eight by eight. Mm-hmm. And we were going to use like blockus style things. So like the field would still be in the middle, but then if you wanted to build, you know, some of the bleachers would be funky style. Have you ever played Baron Park? Yeah. Oh, something like that. Like, all right, you're going to build you're... that level eight. I'm going to build this level eight. And like, you're going to Tetris them together. Yeah, I it's all polyomino. Really yeah. But I mean, the core of this game mechanically is card driven and, right. and resource management. Throwing that mechanic in it's there. It's a whole new game. Complicated it. Yep. And, and Jeff was like, well, what else can we do? And my dad said, well, what if we just make squares and we, we have squares and, and we started building it out like that. So I, I think he's excited. You know, it's it's hard to tell. I, I joke around that I've, I've seen my dad smile twice, uh, once at my sister's wedding and once we, we were at David Cohn's perfect game. And when when Scott Bros just caught that 27th out, I remember looking over at my dad and he had this look like that just happened. Uh. Wow. And, and, and I kind of saw my dad as a kid. You know, my my dad has been adult an adult for as long as I know him. <laughs> and you got to see the kid in him. For like five seconds, which was kind of love neat. that. And I think I think when we, when we get this game in our hands, yeah. And I think they said, you know, with with the way the Kickstarters work, it might be you know September October of twenty three, because this thing's going to fund. Let's get that straight. Everybody here who's listening, you're going to go out, you're going to back it. Everybody else is going to back it. It's going to yep. be tremendous. And we've got a you've got a um, whole bunch of people on Board Game Geek who have it on their wish list as well, uh, <laughs> which is cool. I and, was checking before this. I, I gotta remind, I gotta remind, go back to that real quick. Yeah, mistakes, mistakes I made in the process. The biggest mistake I made, I, one of the biggest at least, it feels like, is back in 2011 or 12. 
I, I got excited to the point where, whoa, whoa, a publisher's into this? Cool. And I made a Board Game Geek page. Mm. And a lot of people looked at it and like, wow, when's this coming out? This is awesome. And I drummed up a lot of buzz early. And then I became the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> oh, we got to wait till next year. We got to wait till next year. We got to wait till next year. Well, guess what, Bruce? The Cubs won the World <laughs> Series a couple of years ago. Yes, they did. And this is finally next year. We did it. <laughs> yeah, and it's next week. It's not even next year. It it's is next, next week. week. That's- <laughs> <laughs> it is next week. Um, you all get to celebrate in this fun. Um, so I have to ask you, um, what, have your, what do your students think about the fact that you have a game coming out? Do they even know? Do they know they've yes. been going this going on in the background? They do. So uh, last year in my b- uh, business of board game design class, I brought in the the game. Now, Lords of Baseball, is it's not a, a short game. So right. my, my class periods are 48 minutes. And for me to bring in a game that takes two hours, it's it's really tough. Plus, I only have one copy of it. So to show everybody the game is tough. Right. But I had I had a group of four kids who were like really hardcore gamers. They they liked they were starting to play Betrayal on House of the Hill during video game club. Like they got into games. And I thought to myself, I, I I'm gonna share this with them. Because they, they they were there there's kids, there's good kids, and then there's special kids. Right. And <laughs> as a teacher, you hate to say that, you know, like the but th- this group of kids, especially the, especially the one I'm going to remember for the next 75 years, just it touches you as an emotional level. Like, yeah, man, the kid felt like my son. But so I brought the game in. And I said, hey, you guys, do you guys want to learn the game that I made? Because I do tell them at the beginning of class, you know, one of the qualifications I have to teach this <laughs> is I've designed a game. Uh, <laughs> but when I played it with them, you know, they they caught on quicker than I thought they would. Mm. My originally, I, I had brought in one of the first versions of Lords of Baseball, like 2013, so a long time ago, because people were telling me it was too complicated. And I said, and again, this is me defending my design. I'm like, I'm going to bring this in, and I'm going to play it with high school kids that you know don't know games. Like this kid has never played a game outside of Sorry or Trouble. Right. That's a jump. And I sat down and I, I traded I, I taught these kids how to play and we played a whole game. And then after after the, the game happened, I looked at each one of them. I said, do you like baseball? Not really. <laughs> Did you understand this game? Yeah. Did you have any problems learning it? No. All three kids did not like baseball and had no problems learning it. So I'm like, I'm justified in thinking that this is not hard. That one of the lessons I try to teach my kids today is that as a game designer, you need to have thick skin. Yeah. Nobody is attacking you. Correct. Yes, this game is your baby and you love it and it needs to be nurtured and held and cuddled and, you know, your mama bear. But sometimes the baby bear is just ugly and you have to you have to understand that. Um, I was so defensive early on, like to the point where like, I'll show you you're wrong. I'm going to teach this kid who's never played sorry before and he's going to play Lords of Baseball. And, and he did, but part, I think, the reason why he was able to is I was there teaching it. I didn't write 75 pages right. of rules for the kid to read. So, like, right. that aspect of it, I just wasn't thinking of. But the the group last year who played the most, you know, up-to-date, the, the, the game that's going to get published, uh, they, they caught on. And I like to think they enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, part of playing the game with me is that you get me. Right. And I'm, I guess I'm slightly aggressively friendly with <laughs> gamers 
it, what? It's, it's like really he would weird. send videos or things like that to your Santa, <laughs> like your Santee. Amazing. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, never. <laughs> but what, what I am per- personally, it's like the opposite of what I am in real life. If, if I meet someone for the first time and it's not around a yeah. gaming table, I'm very introverted. I, Same, I, I'm honestly. shy to a point where like, I don't, I don't want you to think I'm weird until it's cool that you know I'm weird, if that makes <laughs> sense. But like it does. around gamers, I I I'm I'm me. I'm free. I'm loud. I'm proud, and I'm goofy. Awesome. And and showing showing the kids that side of me, I think it that adds to their experience a little bit. Because here's your teacher treating you like a human being, which doesn't always happen. Let's get that straight. And and the teacher is playing and having fun with you. Right. So it's I real. think that might that might have been part of the experience for them. Sure. But I mean, they did tell me they enjoyed the game. So they might have been afraid to tell me they didn't. <laughs> I've, I've had enough people say, yeah, it's not my cup of tea. And, and my response to that is, you know, there's 95,000 games on the board game geek database. I certainly don't like every one of them. Right. And that's, and that's okay. It's, yeah. you know, different strokes for different folks. Yeah. But this is a pretty good stroke for a lot of folks. And I think it's going to be a good, good next week. And so what, are, what should people so. look forward to um, with your campaign and what's it like to put that together? It's nerve. Well, I, I'm very fortunate that uh, Keith at L4, the the company that traded for my my game, has done much of the behind the scenes work. Okay. I have been I've been able to look at the preview page. I've seen you know the graphics, what this looks like, what that looks like, and let me tell you something. It looks really good. Good. Um, let's. Uh, I'll rewind 12 years again because I I know nothing about game design back <laughs> then. I knew Kickstarter existed. And my thought was, all right, well, I'll put the game on Kickstarter myself and I'll raise the money. But when I I actually tried to do this, I tried to come up with funding levels, but I I didn't understand that people were actually buying the game through Kickstarter. I thought they were just funding my dream, right? Uh, So the the funding level was you get a free... Uh, a free ticket to play in a Lords of Baseball tournament at WBC, <laughs> or you get a free T-shirt, or this or this. I'll make you a picture. Like it had nothing to do with the game. So, uh, fortunately, through I, I hadn't back to Kickstarter at that point either, so I didn't really know what what the system was. It was, was kind of new, very new, very very new. Ten years ago, yeah. I've I've now backed eighty games and spent <laughs> you know hundreds and hundreds of dollars, and I understand <laughs> the system. So. I could have designed the Kickstarter page, but fortunately, Keith took care of all of that. It looks really good. Uh, it explains the the game well. There are, um, I think, the most important aspect of the the campaign is what do reviewers think of it. So yep. we had a couple of review copies sent out, and and there's going to be some videos where you can see the game in action, and you can see someone other than me telling you. Great. You know, if I tell you the game is good, that's great. But if somebody else tells you the game is good. You know, you you might be able to take their word for it a little bit more. Uh, so th- that I think is really important. And then I think the the thing they're trying to finish up or like fine tune is uh, the the funding levels, like what you get at certain at certain levels. Like, is, is there a retailer version or? Yeah, I'm not sure this game is is going to see more than one uh, Kickstarter campaign. Uh, I I don't know that for a fact, but. Uh, I think with a, a small game like this, it might just see one print run. So, so definitely go you know, check it out while you can. Get, get it while you can. Well, get it while yeah. you can. I know I'm getting uh, one. <laughs> there. There is going to be a special edition 
wooden box. So back in the 1910s, a lot of baseball cards were traded through cigar boxes. I didn't know this, but through cigar boxes. So Keith wanted to actually design the the box you see on the on, on the screen. Mm-hmm. That's a cigar box style. So whether I think the lid is going to open with a hinge. Ugh. I think I I could totally be wrong. It Don't looks cool regardless. It. Like even if that uh, was cardboard, it looks really cool. Um, there, there's a limited the aesthetic edition, is nice. A Lux copy, limited edition oh. deluxe copy. I think there's going to be 50 wooden ones made, but uh, that's a significant jump in price for the yeah the deluxe bits and bobs. But you know, there's people out there who you know if they like a game, that's what they want. Yep. Uh, I I have purchased. Uh, some deluxe components which do make the experience a, a little more fun yeah. again w- i would rather play with basic components with people i like rather than awesome deluxe components with people i don't like <laughs> but you know if i could play with the good deluxe components with the people i like that's even that's the best best of both that's of the right? that's that's the, that's the dream and honestly yeah i'm kind of the same way there's definitely games that i have the basic ones of and that's fine and i'm like i actually don't need this um, but other games yeah i absolutely have this blinged out editions and it it does definitely help <laughs> with buy-in and immersion um in a really cool way um especially that like with this that you're gonna have to get to tell that story like this is how baseball cards were traded back in the day like that's a cool aligned reason for the upgrades that are there when when they come out of nowhere is when i'm like what like it doesn't associate but the fact that this is built into the lore good job to l4 in kind of designing that and making that happen yeah absolutely and and that was truly a collaborative effort between you know jeff keith and myself about how to do that and whenever keith would say well we could do this or we could do that my my eyes were just like "Are, are you serious we can I, I, I didn't even think that was an option. That's awesome. Like uh, the the big thing about cigar boxes back in the day was there was art all over. There's art on the inside of the box. And he said, well, maybe we can explore that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, are you serious? I've never seen that before. Like we could be <laughs> the first game that has art on the inside of a box. Would totally blow my mind. Yeah. At, at cool. no additional cost. You're putting stuff there printing. anyway. Yeah. They have to put some sort of like, yeah, they usually put some sort of like white or black or neutral kind of thing on the inside, but it's definitely a space for art. Like you could do that. And as far as art goes, uh, you you see the box on the screen right there and you see the the baseball player kind of sort of. Can you tell what color his socks are? Uh, It's hard for me to see. They're stirrups. They're stirrups. Are they blue? They're blue. Now, when, when Rachel first sent over the artwork, uh, he was wearing a red hat with red belt and red stirrups. And I, I emailed Jeff and uh-uh. I said, dude, I, I, don't, I said, I don't want to be this guy. I don't want to complain about the art because it looks really cool. But we, we got to change the color. Yep. Like we ha- I, There's no way. Like my dad's not going to sign off on this as a Yankee fan. I'm not signing off on it. They, it'd be nice if they're blue. But they're not going to be red. No, make them not going to be red. Make them black, make them green, make them yellow. That was one thing that you were not ready for. <laughs> no, and as if 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 that's what's going to stop this game from being made, if 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 we've gotten to that point, I'll accept it. But so there, I I still have some artwork of of that guy. Uh, I I call him Steve. I, I have a picture of Steve wearing a red uniform, hmm. and I thought to myself, you know what? You know, George Herman wore red before he wore blue. So this guy, who's got the same kind of swing, he's got the bat up by his head, that uh, I, I can accept him going from red to blue. I, I really felt bad. I really felt bad saying that though. Like I didn't want to complain and be like, 
I, I felt like I was being that guy. Like, oh, fine, I'll change the colors. Uh, but well, well, it's like yeah, I'm I, looking I, at your camera feed to me that I can see, and I'm seeing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, <laughs> ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen Yankee things, and the Yankees on in the background. So no, it makes oh, sense. Yeah, like, <laughs> as a New Yorker, there's. You did not have anything Boston colors around at all. No, Actually, no. my and parents have a house in Massachusetts, and they have a blue golf cart with a New York Yankees symbol on it. And I'm not going to lie. There's some years where when they're playing, that that golf cart gets egged. Um, oh, geez. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. But um, right, because but it's right healthy here. rivalry. Yeah. L- last pitch at Yankee Stadium. So that's an amazing I mean, photo that you're showing me. Yeah. That's just and, so cool. And there, they said, you know, David Cohn's perfect game. There he is. Oh, so. Wonderful. Like the, what what I, I lack in game design and you know that kind of yes I'll go with those changes is the the one artsy thing that I needed. <laughs> well, <laughs> seems kind of, it seems trivial to, to eh. people now. Is this just the color? No, it's oh, more man, than it that. Was a big deal. It's, <laughs> it it's was a big deal. <laughs> it, that's a big deal. Uh, that's definitely a big deal. But Max, congratulations on this re- this road that you've been navigating through all of this. And your father as well, and handing this to you and working with all these different things. Congrats on the fact that this is becoming live on Kickstarter next week. That's an incredible achievement. And I hope that day goes well. If you're listening to this episode, make sure to go in the bio. I'm going to send the link to the different things so that way you can go and find this easily because we encourage you to do that. Check it out for yourself. Watch that old timey video. But Max, any kind of last words um, as we kind of wrap this up? Well, I'll leave you with the, a thought that I, I give my students that, you know, if, if you have an idea, it doesn't matter how ridiculous you may think it is, because with with eight billion people on this spinning rock that we have, somebody out there is probably going to like it. And it might take you 12 years to find that person. But don't, don't quit on on being creative and don't quit when you get kicked and you get knocked down. I got knocked down a lot and I could have quit a bunch of times and, and, and a couple times like my dad could tell like that. And I think he felt really bad that, you know, it was his game that was causing me grief and strife. No, no, no. Push, push through, you know, and, and it doesn't matter what it is. If it's, if it's game design, if it's, you know, you want to build a car or you want to build a spaceship, that's don't don't quit on your dreams and I, I feel like this is a graduation speech but you know yeah it, what i tell my students if you have an idea for something don't don't let me tell you no and right. don't let anybody else tell you no either yep i love that and with that i hope that listening to this episode and max's journey with all of this um, has been inspiring and that learning about these experiences has helped make a positive impact for you and your gaming group if you have content you'd like us to discuss on the show, you can email that to boardgameimpact at gmail.com. Make sure to follow us on all the social media pages. That's at Board Game Impact. So that's Instagram, Facebook. We'll definitely be sharing about Lords of Baseball for the day it launches. So that'll all be there if you want to follow all that. Um, and you can even also tell some friends about Board Game Impact because um, there's some really cool stories that Max had to share tonight that I think would be really impactful um, for a lot of other individuals out there in the world because, yes, Go and chase all of those things and push, persevere, uh, be resilient. Um, But until our next episode, go make your positive impact on the world.